Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au If you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Hey, I love Thanksgiving Day. It is and has been for many years one of the great Sundays on our calendar. One, because it's a celebration, it's a party as a church and it's good to celebrate. If you read the scriptures, there was a regular rhythm of celebration and festival. And we've lost a little bit of that in our culture, but God's people regularly party together. And so this is just a small way that we come and celebrate God's goodness and we thank Him for all He's doing. And uh, we have a bit of a party as a church. But like with every good party, uh, it's good to bring a gift. And so for us, it's not just about celebrating what's happening for us. It's a celebration of what God wants to do through us in blessing our community this year. And so having seen the growth of care ministry at Gateway over many decades now, it's awesome that we can be part of something that is making a tangible and practical difference in people's lives. So I encourage you to get your red bags, as many as you can take or want or fill, and uh, fill them up this week. Come back next weekend prepared. One of the things I find is Thanksgiving Day is a great day to invite people to, but when they turn up, they wish that Sometimes we just invite them to the service and they're like, why didn't you tell us about the chance to contribute? So if you bring in someone, take a red bag for them because most people just love to be part of blessing others. There's something good about blessing others. But you know what? Thanksgiving is not just a day for us. It is a lifestyle. And so we thought this year we'd do something different. And a few of our campuses have got a couple of events that are happening around some of their new care ministries. Like our city campus has no capacity to run a festival, so they're doing a few activities this week, and we've decided to label it Heart Week. But how does everybody get involved in Heart Week and uh, build this lifestyle of thanksgiving and generosity in all that we do? So we've come up with something very simple that we want to set as a challenge to the church. Now, it's hard to not let these things become token, and we don't want this to be token. We want these really just to be reminders to you of some of the things that God gives us as his people to use to bless others as a regular part of what we do. Uh, We're in a a series right now in the book of Ephesians on identity, and today I'm going to be teaching from Ephesians chapter 5. But let me just read the first two verses of Ephesians 5 as paraphrased in the message translation by Eugene Peterson. He says this, he says, Watch what God does and then do it. Like children who learn proper behaviour from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. I love the way Peterson does the first part of Ephesians 5. What a beautiful passage. Watch what God does and then do it. And mostly what God does is love you. In other words, what's he saying to us? What's one of the great things that we as people are called to do? It is love. And Heart Week is all about expressing practically love. If you're not on our social media page, uh, I encourage you to like our Facebook page, our Instagram page, if you are on social media, because right through this week, there's going to be a daily prompt 
around something you can do in Heart Week. And to keep it simple, we've built an acronym out of Heart Week. And let me talk you through very quickly what those challenges are going to be and ways that you can engage. Again, we're not wanting to create something tokenistic. We hope that you, know, you might just pick up one of these things this week and it might be deeply impactful to someone else or to yourself. But here's five challenges that you may choose to partake in in this coming week. H is for hospitality. One of the greatest gifts that is unspoken about in the Christian church is the gift of hospitality. How many barriers have been broken down? How many walls have come down? How many people have felt welcomed and accepted because someone showed them hospitality and it opened up their hearts to hear the deeper truths of who God is? Hospitality is a deeply powerful uh, spiritual discipline and gift. And it's something that all of us can do really simply. So tomorrow in Heart Week, H for hospitality. Who can you just turn up to in your office or your schoolyard or somewhere with a coffee or if you're at school, an ice break? Or is there someone, maybe you've got a bit more of a gift in hospitality and just want to cook someone a meal to bless them this week. How can you show hospitality? Day two, E is for encouragement. Now, encouragement can look different for all of us. I've worked out, I'm starting to listen to the younger generation of leaders in our church who tell me that they don't like when older people like me ring them to see how they're going. Apparently, they just want a text message. If James Bignall sees my phone number, he'll answer it because he works for me. But if he wasn't, if he was just a 28-year-old guy in our church and I rang him, he'd go, I don't know what that guy's ringing me for. I'll let him leave a voicemail. But if I text him and say, James, you are an incredible blessing to our church. Thank you so much for what you do. He would receive that and respond to that. So maybe you're in the generation like me where you need to ring someone this week. Maybe you need to send them a text message or maybe you've got the gift of writing cards and letters and you just need to find a way to encourage someone. Encouragement is one of the great motivators. It's one of the things that helps people take the next step or, or keeps running when they're ready to give up. So how can you employ the gift of encouragement to someone's life this week? Day three, A, is for ask. This is a growing narrative in our culture. And this week, again, we've just been reminded of the tragedy just you know, through the NRL community, the tragic loss of Paul Green, the importance of checking in with each other. So who can you just check in with this week? Just ask them how they're doing. Maybe your ask this week is to take one of those little cards and invite someone to come to Thanksgiving Day. Now, we put a lot of energy into Thanksgiving Day so that when people come into our church, they have a great experience of the church, but they also have a great experience of who God is. Because God is into all that we talk about and all that we do in being generous and showing love and grace to each other. So who can you ask how they're doing and who can you ask to be here with you next week? R is for random act of kindness. Work that one out. There's a white Pajero that probably drive into Zarafa's about 8.35 on Thursday morning. Just be the car in front and pay for their coffee. They would receive that with grace. What can you do just randomly to bless someone? Completely undeserved. That's how God deals with us. It's what we call grace. Completely undeserved blessings and gifts. And T is for Thanksgiving. It's the reminder that that's the day to get your bags and go shopping if you haven't. It's also probably a great day just to... You know, if you're a social media person, just post something online that you are thankful for. Just, just employ a lifestyle of gratitude. When we actually start, I, I found in my prayer life recently that I try and always start prayer with gratitude. And by the time I get to the list of things that I need to ask for, half of them have dissolved away because I've been reminded again about God's goodness. And suddenly my whinge and my moan starts to diminish. If you actually become a person of thanksgiving and gratitude, it actually changes your heart. It's good for you, but it's good for others. So how can you 
get engaged. Hey, we've got another little thing we'd love you to do, and this is, I'm going to give you an example of this because, again, we, this can feel very token. We don't want it to, but there's these red hearts at the back that is your invitation and reminder to get involved in Heart Week. It just says do everything in love. Go back to Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, read it time and time again. Do everything in love. And on the back, there's space for you to write a note. We would love that when you engage in an activity of Heart Week, if you just want to, as an encouragement to each other and a reminder that we're all getting involved in this, just post a photo of you holding a heart. Now, what we don't want, right, is you doing selfies of look how generous and good I am. Let me give you an example of what this could look like. I took a photo before. Just a reminder of the words of Jesus that it's better to give than to receive with the Zarafa's coffee. I'll stick that online at some point and hashtag Heart Week, Gateway Heart Week. But you know this morning, uh, you guys are going to realise this, over the last three days, the school musical's been on here and uh, it's a big event, it's a messy event. This whole room had curtains around it and screens and lights and just stuff everywhere. There were hundreds of people came through this place. They finished late on Friday night. He's not here this morning. We, we give him credit. Um, you know, I'll try to give him credit regularly, but nowhere near as enough as we should. He's coming tonight. But John O'Hardy was here till 2.30 a.m. on Friday morning, packing everything down so that we could be back here on Sunday in church. Just did it out of the goodness of his heart because he wanted to bless the church. Jimmy was in here early sweeping, setting up sound gear and stuff. But... Uh, on top of that, just to make things complicated, this morning the guys had to change out a significant part of our sound hardware, something that we've changed for the first time in 10 years and probably the most major part of our sound hardware, the thing that actually makes everything work. And they did it from, uh, you know, Jimmy came in and did some yesterday with John Owen, but this morning the sound guys had to come in and reset the whole thing. Kane has been with us since day one and he said to me, this is like day one resetting the sound desk for the first time and they did it all in time for you guys to be here and enjoy the service and so this morning I just want to say thanks to and encourage and affirm with the Zarafa's gift card Mr Kane McManus for all the work you've done this morning Jimmy can you run that down to him I'm going to give you a heart with it there is my heart week contribution to you my friend you're a huge encouragement to our church a huge blessing to us you're in a role that nobody really gets to see they just get to experience, and when something goes wrong up here, everyone just looks at the sound desk. But it's usually the guy up here that's making the problems. But we are so blessed with the guys, all of the guys and girls that are part of our tech and production team here at Gateway. And uh, this morning especially, most of you have no idea the effort it took just to get to a 10 o'clock service. So I just want to honour all those guys that are... Uh, put their hand to the plough in the last couple of days and do that. So, mate, go and enjoy a coffee with your beautiful wife and the beautiful daughter, Alaska, that is here this morning. She probably won't drink anything yet, so you guys can splurge, but heart week. That was so simple. Simple for me because I got my son to pick up the voucher and I just wrote a card. <laughs> but, hey, how could you just bless someone this week and be part of heart week? Hey, let me pray and we're going to jump into the rest of the passage. Hey, God, I just want to give you thanks for Cain. I give you thanks for everybody here in all the different capacities that serve to bless others and to build your church. God, every single one of them is a blessing. For those that do it and it never gets seen or acknowledged, we just want to give you praise and glory. Lord, as we open your word this morning, as we listen to what you want to say to us, as you want to teach us and challenge us and encourage us and help us become more like you, Lord, would you open our hearts to receive? Would you give us the courage to be obedient to the things you call us to do and to apply out of your word? Give us ears to hear this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let me take us back to the start of Ephesians 5. Now I'm going to read it from a different... Just, just for those, if it's confusing when you go, you're reading the same thing, but it sounds so different. And this will make sense a bit later too, but the Bible wasn't written in English. The Bible's written in three languages actually, but Hebrew and Greek, ancient Hebrew and Greek were the main two languages. So everything we've got has been translated. People that have way smarter than me, even though they probably wore glasses like this and looked a little bit similar to me, but... I'm told I look articulate this morning. So I'm just <laughs> raising the roof. But took ancient manuscripts and put it into a language that we could understand. And then there's people that have... It, it just means that the different translations of the Bible, there's just all little nuances that are slightly different, all very, very subtle and sometimes just a different take on a word. But there's different translations. And so when I read from what before I called a paraphrase, that was someone that didn't actually try to write... Uh, to interpret the scriptures from the original text, but has just tried to give, uh, take life and give intent to what it's saying. But we don't use it as the true kind of straight from the text translation. So now I'm jumping into a translation called the New International Version. This is what it says. Sorry, that was confusing. Just a little education there. Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now you're about to notice a distinct change in Paul's language and in the direction of the book of Ephesians. But among you, verse 3, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for the Lord's people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all the goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everyone, everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, for the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another from the, from, with psalms, hymns, and, spirit, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, this is a distinct change in some of the narrative that we've been reading over the last couple of weeks. Paul goes very much into Christian behavior and morality at this point. But before we unpack this passage, I need to reiterate something. And I said this last week, and I'll continue for the rest of my life to reiterate this, because there's something in the human heart and in the Western way of thinking that reads a passage like this and instantly turns Christian faith into morality and works-based. But you cannot read this passage in isolation from everything else that Paul's already said. This is a letter that was meant to be read and received in one sitting. So we cannot 
create sound bites out of the passage that stand alone. Soundbite theology is when we rip something from its context and we make a statement out of it that without context doesn't make sense or says something that it's not supposed to. See, if you employ a soundbite theology to this passage, you'll very easily fall into a theology that says your works are more important than God's grace and that it is you who has to earn God's favour. Therefore, the way you live your life is the most important thing when it comes to salvation. You cannot separate this passage from the rest of Paul's letter. Let me remind you of what he's already said in Ephesians chapter 2. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of what? God's great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions because it is by grace that you have been saved. So see what we're getting here? This is, a, this is just a reminder that it is by God's grace alone that you get the chance to have relationship with him. It's not about you earning it or getting to some level of goodness or morality that makes you okay with God. He goes on in the same passage, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. In other words, it's God's grace, but it's your decision to lean into that. It's your faith in him and his story. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So hold that truth in your heart now as we get to a passage where Paul wants to speak to behaviour. Because grace doesn't make the way we live any less important. It just makes sure that we're recognising that it's not our behaviour that makes us right with God. It's his grace. But God, because he loves us so much, wants to transform us. So because he is a gracious God, he doesn't want you to keep living in the muck and the mess that actually takes you away from experiencing life the way he intended, a flourishing life. So Paul then introduces to the letter something really important. And it's what happens when you become a child of God and the regeneration work of the Spirit starts to do its thing in you. And so Christian behaviour does matter. Not because it gets you close to God, but because God's desire for you is to become whole. And so Paul wants to speak to some really practical things. Just let me take a little side tangent that I think a few of us need to hear. And it's a note on evangelism, of, of talking to people about Jesus. Grace always comes before legislation. In other words, there's a lot of people in our world that think the church... They would never be accepted in a church because they don't live up to its standards. They've heard the wrong message first. The first message they need to hear is that God is love and he loves them and his grace is sufficient for them and that his grace is the thing that actually repairs the broken relationship between him and them. And it is by grace that they are saved, not by work, so that no one can boast. That's the message people need to hear first. Because we can't apply a Christian morality to people that yet have no idea that there is a God that loves them and wants them to live a particular way so they can flourish. Let's get the order right. So Paul starts off. And there's a little hint in this passage that's really important. It comes right at the start. He says this. Among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. In other translations, lords, holy people. In other translations, the saints. In other translations, the Lord's people. But it all comes from this idea of holiness. 
Now, what is holiness? It's one of those words we take for granted, isn't it, that people just get because we sing about it all the time. It's in every second song that we sing, God is holy, you are holy, 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 holy. But do we actually know what it is we're saying when we speak to the holiness of God? Because we don't just sing to God that he is holy because God himself says to us, be holy as I am holy. Go to the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament. God says this, be holy as I am holy. In other words, I am a holy God and I'm calling you as my people to be holy people. But what does it mean to be holy? Holy comes from two words. Let me go back to the original text, to the Greek and the Hebrew. Now, why do preachers do this? It makes us look smart. But no, like sometimes in trying to understand the intent of a word that makes no sense to us, we go back to the original language and we look at the way it was used and the context that it was put in that helps us understand the meaning of the word. And the the Hebrew word for holy was the word kadosh, kadosh. The Greek word translated holy in the New Testament and the word that you find in Ephesians 5 is the word hagios. They both mean the same thing. They both mean separate and set apart. To be holy means to be separate and set apart. So when we say that God is holy, or when we sing of God's holiness, we're acknowledging that He is perfect. He is set apart. He is separate. That sin has never tainted His being. And so we look to the heavens and we see the perfect representative of all that is good and all that is gracious and all that is loving. And we ascribe to him this word holy. He is separate. He is set apart. And so God says to us, part of the call on your life is to be holy. To be transformed, to be more like me, to be different, to be set apart. You know, throughout history, this has actually led people to actually take very literally this idea of holiness that's actually seen them withdraw from society and from culture. There's been holiness movements and holiness communities where Christians have taken very seriously the idea to be holy and believe the only way to do that is to separate ourselves from a culture that would want to infiltrate and actually not allow us to live the way we believe God would want us to live. If we look at Jesus, I don't think this was ever the model that he encourages. I don't think actually God calls us to be holy people and to withdraw. Being separate and being set apart doesn't mean that we withdraw. Because what did Jesus do in our mess? Did he withdraw from us? Or did he wade right into the middle of all the rubbish of your life? I don't think God says to his people, be holy as I am holy and withdraw from the mess of the world. I think he says, I want you to learn what it is to become more like me every day and in every moment so you're more equipped to wade into the mess and actually to shine the light of Jesus into the most broken, hurting places. We should never be people that pursue holiness to withdraw, but pursue holiness to be missional people in God's broken world because that is the model of Jesus. But if that's who we're going to be, it comes with challenge. And it's the thing that Paul addresses in this passage. You know, in the first part of Ephesians, we've looked at our identity being found in Christ. We are in Christ. That is who we are. That is where we find our identity. But when Paul speaks to the church in Ephesus, they were wrestling with something different. They're wrestling with the challenge of just wanting to be in. Paul says, you're called to be in Christ, but they just want to be in. This isn't just a problem with the Ephesian church. 
It's a problem many of us face today because we all have a strong desire to be accepted and included. It's such a strong pull, isn't it? Who hates it when you're the odd one out somewhere at the party? Who hates it when there's a whole crowd doing things and, and you're just thinking, man, if I actually do the thing that I think's right now, I'm going to stand out like a sore thumb in the midst of this community. You see, there's a really strong pull that comes from the crowd. And sometimes we just want to be accepted. Sometimes we just want to fit in. Anyone here that's young, young adult, teenager, anyone at school, this is a massive pressure on your life because there's nothing we hate more as a teenager than standing out because we've actually taken a stand on something that everyone else disagrees with and looks at us and maybe ridicules us or laughs at us or points out how ridiculous that we are. We all like to fit in. And in the church in Ephesus, Paul saw the same problem. He'd already told them that their identity, their place of fulfillment and hope was found in Christ. But they're all just trying to work out how do I live for Christ but be accepted in the culture? But Jesus actually calls us to something greater. He says it's not about being in, because it's really hard in our culture. When the things that are are preached and projected and displayed stand in contrast with the ways of the kingdom of God. See, Jesus' invitation for us to be in Christ isn't an invitation to suck the joy and fulfillment of life away. It's actually an invitation to discover a new and more fulfilled and better life. See, one of the great narratives and deceptions of the enemy, and especially for young people, is that Christianity is some kind of straight jacket designed to rob you of fun, fulfillment, adventure, joy, and experiencing the best of life. And if there's a word that people put over that, it's holiness. But Jesus says the opposite. He says this, no, 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 the enemy, the thief comes to rob and kill and destroy, but I've come to bring you life and life to the full. And the only way we discover life in its fullness is when we start to conform ourselves to the likeness of a holy God and living the way that he intended for us to live. And even though culturally it may not make sense, when we start to step into the stream of it, things start to come together. And so I just want to give you three things that Paul gives us in this passage. Three invitations around ways to behave as we discover our identity in Christ and as we discover what it means to become holy as he is holy. The first he says is this. I want to talk to some really practical stuff today. He says this, discover a new source of joy. He writes to the Ephesian church, do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. I don't want to get into a discussion about uh, alcohol today per se because Paul is addressing a particular use of it and it's the excessive consumption of alcohol. He observes in the church. He's not speaking to culture now. He's speaking to people in the church and he says this, some of you are riding yourselves off when you drink and you're losing self-control and being led into all kinds of destructive practices. If you want to know what that looks like in our culture, pick up a newspaper. And read how many stories of inappropriate sexual advance and behaviour, marital unfaithfulness, reckless behaviour, regretful text messages and photos are tagged with the line of excessive alcohol consumption. And Paul says this, when you drink too much wine, you start to lose one of the fruits of the Spirit acting in you, which is self-control. And he says it leads to debauchery. Debauchery is just a really fancy way of saying all messed up stuff that's not good for you. 
I mean, have you ever read a headline that says this? NRL player gets themselves into trouble on way home from dinner at 10pm completely sober. No. And one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit in this is self-control. And allowing our bodies to be overtaken by something that reduces our capacity to think and act straight, Paul says, is not in line with being part of God's holy people. I reckon if he was writing this today, he wouldn't just leave it at alcohol. He'd talk about all manner of things that we can put into our bodies that actually start to take away from our sense of self-control. You know, we live in a drinking culture amongst many young people, labelled the binge drinking culture, that's often fueled more by the desire to fit in than the joy of the beverage itself. And people drink excessively in our culture as a, a way to deal with other issues, to deaden a deep pain, to escape the world that they don't want to be part of, to be accepted or in the pursuit of a good time. And Paul says this, don't get drunk on wine that leads to debauchery. One, it's going to get you in trouble and it can cheapen your witness. But secondly, it's a cheap substitute for true joy and acceptance that can only be found in being filled with a different kind of spirit. So what does it mean for you to live with a new joy from a new source? Secondly, Paul encourages a new use of our words. He says this, Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. He then goes on in verse 19. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the early 1900s, it was reported uh, that there was a revival that swept through the nation of Wales. There was a young evangelist walking around by the name of Evan Roberts that was preaching the message of Jesus. And a revival broke out. Hundreds of thousands of people came to faith in Jesus. And all the reports that you read, and, and you, know, you go in and there's lots of sources that speak to this, suggest that the community transformation of God breaking through into a community was immense. When we sing for revival and we pray of revival, this is what we believe revival brings. Not greater worship meetings, but community transformation. And it was reported during the Welsh revival that policemen started to create quartets, singing quartets because they didn't have enough work. The courthouses were empty. But another well-told story that, again, I don't know the origins of, but I love this story, is that productivity in the mind slowed because the horses suddenly weren't aware of how to act without being cursed at like they were used to. There was a whole new language that overtook people. And instead of swearing at the horses, they tried to find much more palatable terms because something happened when Jesus captures your life that it changes your language. It wasn't just put on false, but they're like, Come on, jolly old chap, it's time to get moving. The horses are like, who are you talking to me? That's not the word I understand. So productivity stopped because language changed because God got a heart of people's hearts. Words are powerful and words can be testaments from our heart. I have to admit that I struggle at times with this one. Not, not the potty mouth. In 20 years of Gateway, I've never had to have a word beeped out of a sermon podcast. Yay for me. 
But I do have a quick wit, and sometimes when I'm bantering with my mates, I can dance the line. I know that's one of the things that I need to be aware of. I don't think God wants us all to become boring, but he says this, obscenity, foolish talk, and coarse joking don't have a place in God's people. You know, I, watch, I love watching comedians. I found a few years ago that in sharpening my own communication skills, if you want to see people that have incredible nuance, an incredible way to use timing and tone and control, watch a good comedian and how they can command a stage. They have no props, they just have a massive stage and an audience in which they have to communicate to. So I quite enjoy watching uh, comedians. But I've realised there's a massive divide between comedians in our culture. There's those that aren't actually any good and just employ vulgar humour and coarse. They just love to drop the bomb every second word because the shock value is the thing that they think will make people laugh. I don't think they're good comedians and I don't watch those ones. The true geniuses are those who can find comedy in the moments of life that don't require the F word to be dropped to shock people into laughter. See, God doesn't want us to be boring. We can have fun. We can have a laugh. We can enjoy telling some great stories and letting the fish that we caught on the weekend get bigger every time we tell it. But Paul says that when God gets a hold of you, obscenity, foolish talk and coarse joking don't have a place. More than that, it's not just about what comes out of our mouth, it's the intent of it. He says, empty words. Don't let your words be empty. He says, let no one deceive you with empty words because of such things God's wrath comes. What are empty words? It's the, it's the spiritual smooth talkers. It's people that promise the world and deliver nothing. It's people that have just become experts in manipulating others through their words. Paul says, don't get involved in that. You're better than that. So because of what Jesus wants to do in your life, he wants to give you a new language to come out of your mouth, which is the language of thanksgiving and encouragement. Heart Week might be a great reset for some of us as we start to learn to use our words to build others up and encourage others and to show gratitude for what God has done in and through us. And finally, in the third one, I'm going to get the band to come up. A very practical message today. Finally, Paul encourages us to find a new source of wisdom. Very simple, verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. You know, sometimes the struggle that we have in desiring to fit in is around conformity. We like to be accepted. We like to be liked. I really like to be liked. I prefer you to like me than not like me. I prefer you to send me a nice email than a bad email. I prefer you to pay for my coffee on Thursday rather than, no. We like to be accepted. We don't like to stand out. Most of us like to be in. And so sometimes our struggle with living a godly lifestyle isn't, is just the pressure of a culture and a world that actually pushes a completely different narrative. You know, there's some things that God calls us to do as God's people that make zero sense in the narrative of culture. I mean, Paul starts out by talking about sexual immorality. If you come back to a, a basic Christian understanding of healthy sexual practice. It's in the context of Christian marriage. That narrative doesn't even exist in our culture. They're talking about all the other aspects of sexuality where the church has got it wrong without realising that if we come back to the very basis, we're saying to young people, the best thing for you to do is to find the person that God's called you to spend your life with and to keep sex for that context. We've gone way, the, the wave's gone way past that. That's just 
that's just become laughable in the eyes of our culture. That's the way that God calls us to live. So sometimes our struggle is conformity, but sometimes our struggle is ignorance. And one of the things that happens when you live a narrative time and time and time again is it starts to become normative for you. I saw it in just some small things this week. We've had a bit of a coal rolling through the main family for the last uh, couple of weeks and we're on the back end of it, which is awesome. But I've grown up just needing to sneeze and catching it like this. My daughter Sarah was sneezing this week. You know what she was doing? Now, half her life has been spent in a COVID world that's teaching young people to sneeze in their elbow. I, my shoulder hurts when I try and pull my elbow that far around. Like I'm just not limber enough. But geez, this has become second nature because that's just what she's grown up being told and taught. No, she's doing it the right way. She's doing a good thing. But you see, when we live in a culture that practices something time and time again, it normalises itself for us and it can normalise itself for God's people unless we have a different reference point that starts to create a stronger narrative in us. And so some of us are just living outside of God's will, not because we're doing it deliberately, but because we're just ignorant to what God's desire and will for us is. You see, transformation into something doesn't come through osmosis. It doesn't just happen because you're present. It happens because you're intentional. It comes through time. It comes through learning. It comes from looking at a different model. And so Paul says this, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. If you want to know what it means to live as someone in Christ and live the way that God intends for you to live, which is a life that is greater than any other life that this world can offer, you have to understand the life that He calls you to. Jesus wants to transform you. He's not wanting to rob you of life. He's wanting to fill you with His life so that you can discover a new life better, better than any false substitute that our culture will throw up. So what does it take for you to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn what Jesus' way is? Turning up to church as regularly as you do, 17 times a year, 23 times a year, 24 times a year, probably won't do it. Getting a rhythm of actually engaging with God's Word for yourself and, and sitting under others that are going to help you understand it and unpack it. Discovering what God's will is is the thing that will help you transform into the person that He's called you to be. Young people, What's it look like for you to have a regular devotional rhythm? I am, I, I, I'd love to unpack this at a different time because I grew up where it was like if you didn't get up at 6 a.m. in the morning and spend half an hour as the sun rose, you weren't spiritual. That has never been my rhythm. I take nothing in at 6 a.m. in the morning. I go through spits and spurts and it looks different in different seasons. It, it's, it's not about employing a particular way. It's actually about employing something that works for you but that regularly has you learning who God is and what his will for your life is. Jesus wants to transform you, but we need to understand what his will for us is. Paul starts to talk to us about the way we should behave now as people of faith. This isn't so that you earn God's favour because he's speaking to people whose favour has already been earned. He's now talking about what it means to transform your practice so that you actually become more of the person that God intended for you to be and start to experience life 
more as he intended for you to experience it. And it's not a life that will rob you of joy and experience and fun. It's a life that will actually pack it in deeper than you could ever imagine. Why don't we stand together, church? I'd just like to pray for all of us this morning. I was just thinking about what, what's a chance or what's a response moment in today's message. And I just think it's, I think what you need to do is think about what you do when you go out there. What's changing? What are you implementing? What are you doing different this week? What time do you need to carve out? What practice do you need to change? What accountability do you need to find? You need to get together with one of your mates and go, hey, we need to talk about this. I need you to help me with this issue. I drink too much. I give you permission to ring me up every week and ask me how I'm doing with that. Sometimes that's what we need to do, not just come and say, can you pray that this will all sort itself out? We need to take a practical step to changing the behaviour that's going to help us become the people that God intended for us to be. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you that you invite us to find our identity in you. It's a place of greatest joy, of peace, wholeness. Lord, but we also live in a culture that normalises practices and behaviours that don't align with who you are and who you call us to be. God, would you give us wisdom as we sit at your feet to learn more of who you are and who you call us to be. God, will we come to you as our source of joy? Lord, would our mouths be filled with words of thanksgiving? Would our hearts be filled with gratitude and thanks? May we use our words to build each other up and, and to show gratitude to you for the world in which we get to experience and live. And may our lives reflect the lives of people that every day, Lord, aren't perfect, are being perfected though by your grace and by the work of your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as our response this morning, in the words of this song are really pertinent and powerful and I'd love you to use this as a prayer. And maybe you just need to stop singing for a moment and pray your own prayer to Jesus this morning and tell him, what it is you need to do with this message today. But why don't we lift our hearts and our voices and sing together. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we would love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au. 